Welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. You know, one of the things I've shared about often is that uh, we are remodelers. And what I mean by that is the house that we own right now was a fixer-upper house, and we've done a lot of work to it. And I'll never forget the day that we remodeled the first bathroom in the house. All of them were old. They all needed some help. A couple of them didn't even work. And when we started the first one, I'll never forget the day because we ripped out layer after layer of tile and debris and walls and old fixtures. And we filled a dumpster with all of this material. And I actually took a picture of it. And it was an incredible amount of junk that we pulled out of this bathroom. And so there was a day that started where it was a bathroom, although not much of a bathroom. And by the end of that day, it was literally like a blank canvas. Uh, There were no walls. There were just the studs, just the, the, the blank pipes and the plumbing that were there. No fixtures. You couldn't use it as a bathroom. It was kind of like it had been set free from the old, the outdated tile, the fixtures that didn't work, the plumbing leaks that we had. And it was set free for something new. But what was new hadn't come yet. And what we discover as we look at the book of Colossians is really that's the whole idea, that we have been set free from some things, but now we've been set free for some better things. You know, what we do often with religion is we define it as a combination of morality and activity. And really, there's a lot of that, even in our faith. It's believing the right things. It's doing the right things, checking off the right boxes and doing that day after day and year after year. But Many of us need a paradigm shift, maybe for the first time, but some of us, we just need to kind of be brought back to what this is really about. What if your faith and mine was really about freedom? What would it look like if your life was defined by the fact that you have been set free from some things in Jesus Christ, but now you have been set free for some even better things? And that's really what our journey through the book of Colossians is going to be about, because that is the exact reason that Jesus came. But the thing about freedom, and this is true spiritually, it's true in every part of our lives, is that it's harder than it seems. Because what happens with us is that we tend to place ourselves underneath the rule of things. We're created worshiping something. You know, there's worship songs we have, and I believe I've even talked about this before, that talk about the fact that we were made to worship. But what's actually true with our lives and how all of us, just because of who we are as people, is that we were made worshiping. There's always something that's defining the direction that we're answering to, that we're placing our lives under. And sometimes the things we place our lives under are are not very good things. And maybe we start out well, but something happens over the course of time and we find ourselves in a place that we didn't really anticipate. And the early church in Colossae, which was around the area of ancient Turkey, uh, was finding itself in a similar position. The Apostle Paul, who we mentioned already, wrote this letter to this early church around 60 AD. And it was a church that had started out well, as so many do, but they'd gotten off the rails. And there were some other teachings that had crept in. There was some heresy. There were some rabbit trails. There was this mix of Jewish and Greek cultural ideas, some harsh religious practice. And really one of the key ideas is that they had begun to just adopt this belief that Christ, that Jesus Christ was something less than God. 
He was something less than God fully incarnate. You know, maybe he was divine, but he was a lesser divinity. And that had begun to shape their thinking and their understanding in many, many ways. And so the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them. And by extension, he writes to you and I as we journey together through this book. And we kick off in Colossians chapter 1, right at the beginning, at verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will throughout, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." And so this is kind of like the introduction. In a way, this is like the small talk that you have with somebody before you shift the conversation to a more serious matter. It's a mix of greeting, a mix of support, encouragement, of reminder of who they are in Jesus. But then the Apostle Paul shifts to a more serious tone. And when you hear the shift, it seems like a weird shift, but there's a reason for it that we'll get into. In verse 15, the Apostle Paul, he shifts and he says this, the Son, and he's talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's establishing Jesus' credentials, not just as a lesser deity, not just as another teacher or a religious sage, but literally firstborn overall creation. And what that really means is before there was anything else created, Jesus was. And you'll see why in a little bit. Because in Colossae, there were a lot of religious voices, as there were throughout the ancient world. Greek and Roman philosophy and religion, sects of Jewish religious practice and philosophy. And you know what? When we look in our world, there's the same thing. Maybe not some of the same voices, but the same mix of things that are telling you, this is how you should live your life. This is what you should believe. This is what or who you should worship. These are what you should allow to define you and even to rule you. And there are things that sometimes don't call themselves religion, but they act in very much the same way. They are things and voices and even people who ask us to declare our allegiance with them and to worship them. Philosophy, politics, ideology, groups that we identify with. 
And Paul goes on now and he's established that Jesus was first. He wasn't lesser than. He wasn't mixed in with any of the other things. He's first and he stands alone. And the same is true in our time and in our lives. Verse 16. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What Paul's doing is it's kind of like he's writing on the blackboard, Jesus equals God. He's not a lesser God. He's not underneath or subordinate to God. He's not partly God. He and God are one and the same. The created order flows from him. It's not separate. He's the source. He's the sustainer. He's before all things. Even time is in his hands. And in him, all things hold together. And that's such good news. Because the moment we turn on our televisions or we open up our web browser or our news app, we see a world that seems like very often is coming apart at the seams. But Paul reminded this ancient group of people, and he reminds us through the power of the Spirit working through the Scriptures, that in Christ, all things that matter hold together. All things are held together in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we have built our lives on a foundation that even if everything else crumbles around us, this foundation stands firm and secure. And because of that, we can have confidence and we can have hope. And there's nothing else that does this. There's nothing else that we could build our lives on, nothing else that we would be tempted to worship or ascribe worth to or allow to dictate the direction and the pattern and the priority of our lives that is the same as Jesus Christ. And he's not done yet. He, Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so this, this curious phrase, firstborn among the dead, really what that means is he's like the firstborn. He's the firstborn of the new creation. He's the originator of the community that if you are a Jesus follower, you find yourself in and part of the church. He is the center. He's the foundation. He's the sustainer. He's the cornerstone. And the reason this was so important in ancient times is because the Colossians, they hadn't denied Jesus, they hadn't abandoned Jesus, but they'd made him one of many competing voices in their religious practice. No longer did he stand alone. He was kind of mixed in with some other things. There were some in the church at Colossae who were fascinated with this teaching called Gnosticism, which was this mix of knowledge and understanding being supreme, that there was a special knowledge that could be attained and held to. Some had... Uh, we're observing this harsh form of Jewish legalism, harsh religious practice, and yet another group was chasing after angels and manifestations and supernatural things. And in short, they were all distracted. And in the 21st century, we, as Jesus followers, we have some of those same distractions and we have some new ones. And what Paul was saying to them and what he's saying to us is Christ is the source. He is the foundation of everything that matters, not only of your faith, but of your life. And if whatever it is you're chasing in life doesn't lead you back to Christ, it's not at, it doesn't have the same root because Christ does not coexist 
with anything else. He doesn't coexist with the worldly system that we find ourselves in. He does not coexist with politics and politicians. He doesn't coexist with the dominant narratives that define our lives that have us hoping and even sometimes afraid. And Paul is inviting us to come back to the foundation, come back to the cornerstone, come back to Christ, come back to the relationship, not the rules, not the moral system, not the spiritual rabbit trails, not all of the other things that we've bolted onto our faith to seem like it make it work better or makes it more relevant or more appropriate in the times we live in or that feel like it give it strength in these uncertain times, but to strip all that away and to cling to Christ alone, come back. This is a densely theological passage of scripture that the apostle Paul is working his way through. And he's not done. But when we understand what it means when Jesus is everything, when he's our foundation, when he's our origin, when he's our sustainer, when we've built our entire lives and every breath we take on Jesus being the center on Jesus being the one that in all areas of our lives, he is what holds it together and nothing else. It changes how we live and it changes how we see everything. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And what that means again is that Jesus isn't like partly God or like a smaller God or some subset of God or some lesser deity. He is fully God and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move out from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so Jesus, or Paul, draws them back to the fact that in Christ and in Christ alone, they have been saved, they have been reconciled, they have been made right. There's no longer any debt. There's no score that has to be settled. There's nothing that has to be proved. This is like if you had a debt and someone came along and canceled that debt and wrote paid in full, your life now could go on and it could be about something else. What a great and glorious hope that is. But Paul attaches a warning to it. And it's a warning that if you followed along in the scripture, you saw it in bold, where he says, if you continue in your faith established and firm and you don't move out or move on. So you keep your faith, you keep your hope rooted, not just your faith in the hereafter or your religious faith, but really the faith through which you live all of your life, that it's established and firm, it's built on Jesus and it doesn't move on. It doesn't get anything added to it. It doesn't come out with a more advanced version. It stays rooted in Jesus Christ, that this is it. There's nothing else, no angels, no supernatural things, no religious observance and practice, not Jesus plus anything, simply Jesus alone. And in our time, we can add a whole host of other things to this list, arguments, 
politics, questions about the end times, culture wars or fears about social issues, the pandemic, the government, and on and on and on. If it doesn't lead back to Jesus, it doesn't matter. And in fact, it's a distraction. This phrase, established and firm, that we see in verse 23, it literally means grounded. It's like when you build a house and you build the foundation of your house. If that foundation moves, the whole house is in deep trouble. You know, there was one time when my wife Grace and I were searching for our first home, and there were a couple homes we looked at, and we went in and we looked at them, and the finish work was incredible, and the counters looked great, and the trim was wonderful, and there were, when you walked around and you looked at the aesthetics of the house, the bathrooms and the tile were just some of the best stuff we had seen in our entire journey. And then we went downstairs in the basement, and we looked at the foundation, and the foundation had this tremendous crack in it. And that simple fact undid all of the other things that we had seen upstairs that literally didn't make going any further in this house worth the trouble. Paul is saying, if your foundation is anything other than Christ, it doesn't matter what you build on it. It doesn't matter how good it looks or how fancy it is. It's compromised. In essence, he's saying, don't get so fixated on the finishes that you forget the foundation. Refuse to be moved off of Jesus. Build your life, rebuild your life, recenter your life on a firm foundation. Now, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this letter to these Colossian Christians, he was in jail. And so we begin to see that perspective emerge in the next few verses, beginning in verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul is saying, this has been hidden for such a long time, but now because of Jesus and now because of the revelation, not only to the Jewish people, but to everybody else, the Gentile people. There is something of extraordinary value and worth that's incomparable that has now been revealed for all to see. Don't miss it, but also don't cover it up with anything else. Because when the Apostle Paul was writing this, he was sitting in that Roman prison, which was not a very great place to have to live and to exist and to go day to day. But what he's saying is he's saying, I literally gave my life for this, to live and proclaim this message to others, and it's totally worth it. It's totally a great trade-off because of what this represents. You know, because Christ isn't just a teaching. He's not just an idea. He's not just, you know, a vague moral figure. He's God. He's being. But there's more to it than that because if you're a Christian, he is the sum total of your hope both now and in eternity. And it's not Jesus at a distance. It's not even Jesus who has come near. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
Christ in you, all that God is and represents in Christ is not only near us, he is in us if we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And that changes literally everything. You know, some of us, we look to circumstances for hope. You know, when things are up, we're up. And when things are down, we're a little bit down. Some of us, if we had to be truthful, we look to politicians. If we just get the right politicians, then things will be hopeful. And if we have the wrong ones, things are headed in the wrong direction. Or we look to financial security. If I can just make enough, if I can just get the promotion, if I can just get enough in the bank, if my retirement can look a certain way, then I will have hope and I'll have peace. Some of us look to hope in our relationships, love, marriage, and family. Some of us, you know, we search for hope in our careers. Some of us, there's this thing in our lives that feels like it's wrong and we feel like if only we could get it right, if only we could make that thing that was wrong right, if we could get justice, if we could get vindication, then we would have hope. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is the only true lasting hope. It's not in any of those things. It's not even in all of those things. It's only in Christ, and you can't mix Jesus with anything else. So what do we do with this? You know, some of you, you've been a person of faith. You put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. You remember when it was, when it was new. You remember when you first became a Christian and everything changed. Maybe it changed all at once or it changed over a period of time, but you couldn't wait to wake up. You couldn't wait to be at church. You couldn't wait to join into worship, to grow. Every day felt like it was a new adventure. It was like falling in love. And now, these days, it feels very different. A few of you, you got into this because it just seemed like a more moral way to live. You believe Jesus is who he says he is. But really the thing is that this has brought order to your life. You know, you prayed the prayer, but a lot of your life has been about keeping the rules and doing good things and doing good works and being a good person. And it's brought order and stability to your existence. And that's a really good thing. But friend, there is so, so much more. You know, a few of us, we've been hurt by the church or a person in the church. You know, some of you might have seen the church at its worst rather than at its best. And you feel disillusioned and you're hanging on and you're not even sure why. Friend, take a chance today. Take a chance on Jesus. Not on the people, but on Christ who is in you, the hope of glory, because he is so much more. Some of you, you know, our lives are distracted and busy and all of the shifting that we continually find ourselves having to do in the world around us to adjust and to adopt and just to get through the next day or the next week. There's so much distraction. Or maybe it's a difficult marriage, a difficult kid situation, job, finances, illness. You know, this whole faith thing feels like it's so on the back burner for you because you just don't feel like you have the margin for it. But what you may not realize is that making Jesus the foundation, Christ in you, the hope of glory, will bring strength to everything else. And so as we close, I think we each and we all need to make a decision today. I know many of you watching and listening, you have called Christ Lord and Savior. You've prayed a prayer. You're a Christian. You believe in Jesus. But truthfully, 
Many of us look at that for primarily what it means after we die, that you know, we will be, uh, we'll be united in eternity with all the other believers around the throne of God. And that is a glorious and blessed hope. But Christ in you, the hope of glory, is also the foundation for right now. And so maybe you need to make another decision for Jesus. And that's he, that is this. He would become your cornerstone. He would become your cornerstone right now. He would be like the foundation that everything else in your life is built on. In that situation that you think is, is too far gone or too big, in that circumstance that's too difficult, in the life that you have actually given up hoping for more out of. Because hope, because heaven actually begins here. It will certainly be completed in eternity, but it starts here. And it's not spiritual activity or fascinating ideas or working really hard for God or beating yourself up about it. Hope is a person. Hope isn't found in your circumstances when they're right or they're wrong or in any of the other places we have put it. Hope is Christ alone, cornerstone, center, building your life in such a way that if Jesus was removed, it all falls apart. But because Jesus is God and because, as the Apostle Paul said in what we read today, in him all things hold together, even the things you're not sure how they hold together, because of that, it won't. You can have a foundation that's secure and that hope begins right here and right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that... uh, You weren't just a great moral teacher. You weren't a lesser deity. You weren't part of God. You're fully God. You are the chief cornerstone. You are the one who is Christ in us, hope of glory. And we look to that day at the end of all things where glory will be consummated, where it will be made complete. But we also recognize that that glory has come to us now in Jesus. And so I pray for each person who is watching, for the places in each of our lives where we struggle to keep you as the center, to keep you as the foundation, where we're tempted to build on something else or to add things to it, that we would come back to Christ, the foundation. And as we do that, as we release those other things, as we allow them to take second place or third place or 10th place or even just to slip off of our lives entirely, so that you would fill us up, that we would know your hope, we'd know your peace, and we'd know the security of knowing that you are Christ, who's not only with us, but you're Christ in us, the hope of glory. Spirit of God, would you take the words we've heard today? Would you make them personal? Would you remind us of the truth of your word? And would you help us build our lives on you so that we would know and that all those around us would know who you are, Christ, our cornerstone. We thank you for this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. To connect with us further, you can visit our website at lhcnj.net. or on social media at LHCNJ, and we'll be back next week with another sermon. Until then, have a great week, and God bless.